0: The adult ECLS ECMO program at OHSU brings individualized care to patients whether they are in an OHSU intensive care unit, at a hospital outside of Portland, or even while in the air. OHSU is the only hospital in the Pacific Northwest offering air and ground transport for both pulmonary and cardiac adult ECMO patients. It's Tuesday, May 15th, and this is OHSU Week. I'm Patrick Holmes. Jennifer Smith sat down with Dr. David Zonies and Sean Frice to learn more about the ECLS program.
1: Now, why don't you both introduce yourselves and talk about your roles in the program, Sean?
0: Um,
2: my name's Sean Frice. I'm the ECLS coordinator for the adult program at OHSU. And uh, I handle some of the administrative work of the program and keep it organized.
3: And I'm uh, David Zonis. I'm the um, I'm a surgeon in the department in the Department of Surgery, and I'm the medical director and the founding director of the Adult Extracorporeal Life Support Program here at OHSU.
1: So I'm hearing acronyms. What is the difference between ECLS and ECMO?
3: So it. Potentially, is a bit of semantics. Um, ECLS is a broad term, so extracorporeal life support, which is sort of a catch-all for various types of support. So all of these support modalities work by removing blood uh, from the patient and then using a mechanical circulatory device to provide oxygen uh, delivery, remove carbon dioxide. And depending how it's configured, we can treat various conditions if it returns to a vein. Uh, in a particular anatomic configuration, then we're supporting the lungs, and so we refer to that as another acronym, which is Veno-Venous or VV ECMO. ECMO itself is extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, so that is the actual um, uh, device that's used for this type of support. If we do it for um, supporting the heart, um, which is VA ECMO, it's another form of extracorporeal life support or ECLS, and that is to support the, the patient's um, cardiovascular system um, to basically replace the function of the heart uh, in order to supply oxygenated blood to all the vital organs. There are other types of modalities we could provide for patients who have, uh, say, severe pulmonary disease, uh, so COPD. And in that particular case, um, it's another form of extracorporeal life support. And so, the reason we use that, that terminology is because there are different ways of managing it. Technically, even in, in that arm uh, basically toolbox, we have things like renal replacement therapy, which is traditionally dialysis. But in, in our particular system, we can actually integrate that as part of the entire circuit that we're uh, managing the patient in during their critical illness.
1: What are some of the other reasons a person might need ECMO.
3: Traditionally, um, for respiratory failure, uh, most people think about influenza. And so this past season, we had a very, as most people know, there was a pretty significant influenza season across the entire United States, and certainly we were affected here in Oregon. So when in traditional modalities, such as support on a ventilator fail, and we try to, uh, to augment the patient and try to, to use various techniques to try to um, support their respiratory failure, Once that fails, ECMO is traditionally the the rescue strategy to support those types of patients when there are really no other options left. Another modality that we use here quite frequently because of our heart failure program, our advanced heart failure program is supporting patients in severe cardiogenic shock. So if they have a massive myocardial infarction, if they have severe uh, cardiogenic shock because of... um, Sepsis, or if it's that they're in the operating room and they they have a difficult time or are incapable of coming off of traditional cardiopulmonary bypass, that we can essentially provide that same type of therapy out of the operating room. So that's another significant um, use of the modality that we use up in our cardiovascular intensive care unit. There are some other options for using it. If a patient has severe hypothermia, say that they have been exposed out on Mount Hood, or they've been exposed in the ocean, um, or they just have, for whatever reason, have severe hypothermia and and risk of uh, hypothermic arrest or potentially dying, we can actually rapidly rewarm patients by removing all of their blood and and using our circuit to both provide oxygen to their brain, lungs, and vital organs. But we can also actively rewarm the blood and reverse their hypothermia. There's probably about a dozen reasons, but the, prin- the principal reasons for using it are for either supporting the lungs or for supporting the heart. And what
2: makes the ECMO program at OHSU unique? One of the things that's unique about our program is we go to where the patient is. So if we have a patient who's on cardiac support, they can be in the cardiovascular ICU. And if we have a patient who has the flu and has respiratory failure, we can keep them in the medical ICU and with their primary teams. And then we come on and partner with their primary teams to do the ECMO. Um, so we, we go to where the patient needs to be. Um, we also, our team involve, includes physicians from all of the different areas in, in the intensive care group, and we have anesthesiologists, surgeons, um, and a whole group of physicians. We also have nurses from all of the different adult ICUs come together for our ECMO team. So we have a specialty a, a understanding of multiple different populations, and we go to them and um, really I think that teaming up gives them the best care possible because they can still stay with their primary group and we just come on to support them.
3: To just add to what Sean said, what makes our program extremely unique is this multidisciplinary interprofessional approach to the patient's care, which compared to many centers which are really siloed into doing this particular treatment in a particular place in the hospital with a very specific team, um, we have really embraced this larger model of care, and really the secondary effect of that has been not just for this particular patient, but for patients who have sort of diseases like it, we have the ability now to reach out across the entire hospital to, um, to get that expertise, where normally we'd really be siloed as an act only as consultants, and being able to have the flexibility of the nurses to be able to work in any, real, any part of the hospital has really just increased our capacity to care for the most critically ill patients.
1: And the working with life flight and being able to physically go to long, faraway regions is fairly new, as I understand. What, how did that come about, and what advantages does that provide?
3: So personally, um, how I got into all of this work was um, I came out of the military, out of the Air Force, where this was the mission we did, and I did, had done this exact mission in Europe and in uh, North Africa. And so we would routinely transport these critically ill patients all across um, Europe and then even back to the United States. This model is not particularly new. The mil- so the military has been doing it for quite a while, for a number of years. In the civilian world, um, it, it does exist. And in fact, that we have a partner in, in Portland that has been doing this for a while. What we bring to the table is just, is as I mentioned previously, is just in addition to the respiratory failure piece of it, is really being able to provide the full capability of providing both support for cardiogenic shock as well as respiratory failure and all those other modalities. The ability to, to partner with Life Flight Network, um, they already have a network established with aircraft in know, fixed wing and rotary wing aircraft throughout the entire region, and they're um, they're very good at what they do. This is just an additional capability that really was beyond their scope of practice. So by being able to bring our team and their team together, uh, we have now been able to provide a capability for the residents of Oregon as well as Washington, and then we plan expansion into other surrounding states to be able to provide this, region, this regional capability to all the citizens in, in the area.
1: So an ECMO treatment clearly requires a quick coordinated effort, especially if you're going to a patient who's critically ill. Could you talk about how the team organizes to provide a timely response?
3: We have an on-call team. which um, traditionally the configuration is going to be a physician um, who's part of the ECMO team, one of the ECMO attending physicians, faculty physicians, um, who could be a surgeon or one of our intensivists, or sometimes both as well as uh, one of the ECMO nurses. So we have our, our larger group of ECMO providers and nurses, and then we've uh, identified, through Sean's help, you identified a core group of people who'd be p- part of the transport team. They're on a 24-hour alert to be able to go at a moment's notice, and we, uh, once the patient is identified and moves through our transfer center, and we are all in agreement from both the sending facility uh, that's requesting the capability and then our team's availability, then um, we work with Life Flight through their dispatch center and have an organized approach to have a, basically a go-bag of all of our equipment for urgent transport. And then um, we either uh, rendezvous at the airport and launch from there, or in, in certain instances, um, we can either go by ground or even by rotary wing where they would meet us on the roof of the hospital, and then we would launch from there multiple checklists, multiple, um, you know, we we drill, we run scenarios so that we have the team as agile, but we try to keep the team small enough so that we're nimble enough to be able to kind of launch in a moment's notice. We want to
2: be able to keep the team competent and give them lots of chances to do patient care. So we try to keep the team as small as we can to give everybody a chance to stay hands-on with patient population and to be ready to go whenever they're needed.
1: So to a non-clinician like myself, this sounds really exciting, and it sounds like a time you know where there might be a lot of adrenaline running, and you're in a maybe a loud environment on a helicopter or an aircraft. What, as a, as a clinician, is that experience like, and how do you communicate with each other and the patient or the family member who might be on board?
3: So... It's all about preparation and practice and drilling and checklists and remaining focused and calm. The most important aspect of probably all of this is just as you said, is the communication piece. The competency is, is an expectation. It does raise the bar a bit because now you're in a foreign environment outside of the traditional hospital walls. The ideal situation is that everything is stabilized so that we have a very uneventful flight. The point is to have that uneventful flight so that everything's been figured out ahead of time. But we have all of our plans uh, about what to do in the event of, a, of an in-flight emergency worked out and drilled prior to you know having to potentially go through that experience. We've learned a lot of that from just having the emergency drills that we do here as well as just the, the emergencies that have, aris- that have arisen on the inpatient side. We tend to use, again, with sort of the military background, uh, a mnemonic. The mnemonic is PACE, which is the one that I always think of and when I talk to my colleagues about that, is that we have a primary mission. What's our primary thing we're doing, which is putting them on ECMO? Um, what would be the alternative if, that, if something fails along the way? That's your secondary plan. Your third plan is your contingency. So what are you going to do when the second thing fails? And then if your contingency falls through, what's your emergency backup plan? So we try to think two to three to four things deep in each potential scenario. And I think that's what keeps the patient safe, that's what keeps the the team operational.
1: How many patients have you served with the ECMO program?
2: So we've
3: served 41 patients in the two and a half
2: years we've had the adult ECMO program at OHSU um, and our one transport patient to date.
1: What are you most passionate about in your work?
2: What I'm most passionate about um, is not only that we provide excellent patient care Uh, but that the team that we have providing that excellent patient care feels confident and feels like they have all the tools that they need to do that job well. Um, And that that comes from my perspective and the role I serve on the team. So for me, that's that's why I do what I do.
3: I think by growing this program here from really the ground up, it has been um, a really amazing experience to watch the passion of others on the team and to really embrace this model of care, which I think is really unique. Certainly, there's the the passion of the excitement of being able to take a patient who's really at the verge of of mortality and being able to provide a therapy that can really bring them back. And you know, many of these patients are very young, or very you know, otherwise very functional people, and being able to introduce a, a, a therapy in these high risk patients and basically get them back to a and normal quality of life is really what I think drives many of us. drives it's What drives me? Those
1: are the bulk of my questions. Is there anything you'd like to add?
3: I think that one of the secondary benefits of this program has been the cross communication amongst the various services, and the initially was healthy skepticism has now turned into a desire to try to bring these optimal therapies to patients. And you know, at least in the adult world, you know ECMO has been around a, a long, long time. For adults, it's the data hasn't really panned out to be very effective, and that data really changed after the last pandemic. The experience of providers and nurses has gotten better. The data, the mortality, the registries have shown that we are actually getting patients to survive and not just survive, but survive with high, you know, good quality of life. And so, I think that the secondary effect here has been um, this really collaborative effort across the entire hospital, which um, which I, has made me very proud. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, we have the members of the ECMO team, but really our program depends on so many different groups at OHSU and just that we've been able to all work together to create something that's allowed us to offer this to patients has been pretty remarkable. It's such a big institution and we really come together around the program.
1: Wonderful. Well, thanks again for taking time today.
0: Thank thanks. you. OHSU Week is a production of Strategic Communications. This episode was produced by Jennifer Smith and edited by Josh Anderson. I'm Patrick Holmes. See you next week.